Welcome to the Makom Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners with Israel by discussing and exploring current events and relevant issues. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Doing well, Mike. Doing well. Numbers are going up in the uh, in the Corona. It's unnerving. Data, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, which I think, which I fear, means that in a couple of weeks we'll start seeing bad. Most. Most likely. In other words, if, if they're being diagnosed now, then I fear what it means for the next two or three weeks. Yeah. We are here once again with producer extraordinaire, Matt Littman. How are you, Matt? I am very well, thank you, Michael. Always a pleasure to join you. Yeah, so we were actually pretty happy with how last week's came out, and I think we got some good feedback. So we're going to do something similar, but I don't think we're going to do the the uh, play acting again. But we wanted to discuss another paradigm that we found useful also a uh, a Benji Davis idea. And the paradigm we wanted to discuss is if you want to understand the difference between the Palestinian perspective and the Israeli perspective, then you have to understand the narrative of Israel in 48 and 67 and how it's a story of independence and security and how the Palestinian story of 48 and 67 is one of Nakba and Naksa. But ultimately, what the Israelis want is peace, and what the Palestinians want is justice, and both from their perspective. Is that a fair summary that needs to be unpacked? Uh, yeah, I think I, I would. Li- I want to make a little bit of a change, which I've Great. come to in the last little while, uh, which is I think um, if I, I what I when I started teaching it, I started adding this. That, that the Israelis want peace and security, mm-hmm. and the Palestinians want peace and justice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We both use that word peace. We both use the when, word peace. But when we talk about peace, really the primary is security. And when the Palestinians talk about peace, their primary is justice. Yeah. Well, right? it, it, even rhetorically, mm-hmm. Israelis will always talk about yeah. a secure peace, and Palestinians exactly. want a just peace. It's even in exactly. their explicit language. Yeah. Exactly. And when so, there's talks going on, the talks are always peace talks. Exactly. That's like the generic term for it, right? Yeah, right. and they're not meeting, right. they're not overlapping, because they're actually pursuing different things, both under the name peace. Mm-hmm. And it's those qualifying words of justice and security, which is really the core of the of the um, conflict, really. Uh, now I'm talking about the idea a lot like, Conflict in terms of being able to settle things, not necessarily the fighting, right? Right, because yeah. if you have two different goals and you're not quite seeing what the other side is is working towards, you can't really get a, a negotiated settlement. Yeah. So I think explaining right. so which is I like is to it, go ahead. Which I really like to say is that, and that that is really the core problem that we have, because the core problem we have is that we're really talking about two different things. And mm-hmm. when when you're and even though we both go into these meetings, we're taught like when the, the the we don't really have the same objectives as as Matt was saying. So therefore, um, both sides are demanding things to 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 meet their objectives, um, their core objectives, and they're not really talking the same language. Um, and I don't mean Arabic and Israel, you know, Hebrew here. We're talking about really the, the language of what peace means. Because what peace means to an Israeli is different than what peace means to a Palestinian. And Israeli means security and no more violence. Palestinian means, yeah. from their perspective, from their position, uh, justice. 
Gracias. Right. Okay, do we have to explain what the Israelis mean by security? Why 1948 meant an independent Jewish state and why? Yeah, I think it's important. Okay, Matt, you want to take a crack at that one? You're talking in terms of like the result of it or? Yeah, the results of 48 meant independence and the mission of Israel has been to secure that. Go ahead, yeah. So as the nation state of the Jewish people, the, the goal of Israel was always to protect the people within it, right? The Jewish people. So the war of independence, starting with the civil war, beginning at the end of 47, going through to the war of independence, 48, 49, the goal was to um, have a secure borders, recognized borders for the state of Israel. For, so this would be the sovereign state of the Jewish people. Um, once that was achieved, and also remember coming back on the history of uh, Europe in the late 1930s, early 1940s, there was that extra push of recognizing uh, Jewish people needed a secure place. Um, when their enemies attacked in 1948, they really, really needed a secure place. And that was something that they worked towards and fought towards with the goal of setting up um, defendable, secure borders, basically, as part of uh, the role of being a sovereign uh, sovereign nation state. Along that kind of carried on. You want me to move on to 67 or? Yeah. You want to take 67? Okay. So things are moving on. <laughs> Twenty Fast forward 20 years, um, sort of pan-Arab nationalism is rising in the, in the region. Um, there's a lot of rhetoric about wanting to destroy uh, the Zionist dogs, the Zionist pigs, drive them into the ocean, etc. Um, and Israel was scared. Israel was very, very scared. Um, there's like crazy pictures, um, which I'm sure many of our listeners have seen, of people like digging up like soccer fields and, and farms and things like that because they thought there were going to be so many people that were going to die and things like that. Um, there was a real, real fair intention um, at the time. Uh, and one of the, then Israel launched a preemptive strike against the Egyptians um, and the Egyptian Air Force. And within six days, not only had they been able to defeat their enemies, but they'd actually tripled the landmass of the state of Israel. Um, so in what was what began as basically kind of a defensive campaign ended up becoming a campaign where Israel was able to expand its territory and it decided for itself then where those borders were going to be. It was able to set its own secure borders. So by saying, okay, we're going to uh, have certain parts of the West Bank, we're going to have uh, the Jordan Valley, we're going to have a buffer zone uh, here, a buffer zone there. It basically made the state a more secure place by having like these little pockets of buffer zones and be able to leverage ter- that territorial those territorial Mm -hmm. gains into making peace, which sometimes, by the way, giving up the Sinai, it found security in its southern border by giving up land also. So that's the the classic example, right? That's the classic example. The Egyptians tried to take it by force in the Yom Kippur War um, in 1973. Israel said no. And and despite the the losses of Israel, they were still able to uh, push back the Egyptians. And at that point, everyone realized it was a good idea to come to some sort of negotiated settlement. And that was the peace deal. We still have that peace deal with Egypt today. Um, and it's a strong peace deal. Um, nobody's different, talking different, about. And it's a different tactic, but the same logic that Israel held on to the Golan and Israeli law applies in the Golan. Israel essentially treats it as Israel to keep Syria off our back. It wasn't traded, but it's still, it's the same goal of how can we use the gains of 67 to secure the the gains of 48 and have a secure... Right. So one safe- is through a negotiated settlement. They yeah. captured the Sinai and were able to negotiate a good peace deal as a result of returning it to the Egyptians. And in the case of the Golan, 
there has not been a successful negotiation over it. So instead, it, it works as a, as a buffer zone, as a defensive area. You have a much more strategically strong hand if you're in control of the Golan than if your enemy is in control of it. Right. And whenever the Israelis talk to the Palestinians, they're essentially talking about using the Egyptian model. If it'll make things more secure, we will hand land over to you. That's basically the terms of Oslo. Whenever Israel's talking about making peace, that's what they're talking about. Go ahead, Alan. Yeah, I just want to just drive home a little point that I, I, I think needs to be clear. And this uh, is really a lot of where the, the contention uh, also holds is that, uh, in as Matt rightly stated, Israel was looking for security and secure borders with the independence war. But Israel, by far by like a way consensus um, uh, then and until today, does not feel that the borders that were established in 49, that were really ceasefire lines for mo- most of them, were yeah. not secure borders. They were not livable secure borders for a state of Israel. And, and well, the fact and the that technical they were even, use of the term borders mean agreed upon boundaries between exactly. two, two people on either side. So from that perspective, Israel doesn't really have borders. Right. They didn't have borders. It's certainly not after 40, the end of the yeah. independence war, whereas Israelis would call them rhetorically, whatever, Auschwitz borders, meaning... Uh, right, uh, some politicians that they were because they were indefensible borders. You know, for instance, just to remind our listeners, Jerusalem was split down the middle. Right, it was like a split city. Right, well, there was no there were no natural borders or no natural um, uh, geographic or didn't make sense. Um, and a little so. further north from Jerusalem, you have a one part of the border was about a nine mile distance from the Jordanian line right. to the Mediterranean Sea. So they're very right. hard borders to defend. Right. Um, and of course, also Israel got, at least in the coastal plain, and whereas they did not have the mountaintops, which, you know, the heights are very critical when you're talking about security. Correct. Um, and today, today Israel's not really talking about security from its neighbors, other than Iran, which is not really a neighbor. But today, Israel's talking about having a cease of hostilities with Palestinians and, and preventing future terrorism. That's the security they're working on now. And the, the paradigm was in the 90s, and in theory since then, although practically not really, to create a process where the Palestinians would get land. And in that way, that would bring security to the Israelis. It would end hostilities. It would, it would bring a, a basic end to terrorism, and Israelis could live in security and finally achieve the realization of that goal. Peace through security. I think something to point out, though, and the big difference between this area that we're talking about now, like sort of in the negotiations with the Palestinians, the West Bank, is the demographics are so different than the demographics when we're talking about Sinai or even about the Golan, right? Just in terms of the sheer numbers of people mm-hmm. uh, from a number of Israelis who, who are living in the West Bank makes it a much more complicated jagging act. Yeah. Right, but uh, on the other side, right, the left in Israel, the Israeli left, is talking about secure demographics, right? Mm-hmm. A secure Jewish demographic uh, for the state, as well if there's as there's an Arab borders. majority, then we don't have a secure yeah. Jewish state. So it's also right. a form of security. Yes. Okay, so, so Alan, yeah, can um, you explain the, the justice perspective of the Palestinian side? Okay. I feel like I'm being typecasted. Like last week, you were, you know. I had to be the. Do you know my wife was really upset that I had to be fundamentalist? I mean, I didn't have to be; it just (laughs) fell out that way. And my wife was really upset. She was like, "Alan came off so nice as social justice guy, and you came out so mean as fundamentalist." I'm like, "Okay, we were acting." She goes, "I know, but 
<laughs> Poor Dara. Um, uh, it's okay, our 30th so the, anniversary tomorrow, by the way. Oh, Mazel Tov. Mazel tov. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, very excited. Wow, that's big. It's big. Oh, you, uh, Hebrew or Gregorian? No, Gregorian. Oh, it's my, parents, it's my parents' 65th. Oh, happy anniversary tomorrow. to your parents. Yeah, yeah. that's so nice. Um, okay, so the Palestinians, uh, the Palestinian, how they see it, of course, you call it Nakba, the catastrophe, um, and um, is the, what we call the independence war. And basically, uh, for the Palestinians, as we said, their, their main goal and their main way of seeing the problem is through the lens of justice, right? Mm-hmm. That um, a just peace. Whereas that means that the way you see it, that the 20th century, um, starting with the Zionist, um, you could say the Zionist invasion of, of, of Palestine, has been a continual dispossession of Palestinian lands from Palestinians. Um, and of course, it, it's, its two heights are marked by um, the partition plan, which then led to the... the uh, what we call the independence war, they call the Nakba, the, the catastrophe, um, where they that um, Palestine was split into two, their natural homeland was split into two, against their wish, against their wish, and they law and they were dispossessed, uh, and then through the war they were then dispossessed of much more because Israel conquered more than was granted to them in the in the in the um, partition plan of the United Nations of 47, right? Israel took more, again, you could look at the maps, but Israel take, takes more. Of course, Jordan has a piece and Egypt gets a piece, but the focus for the Palestinians is really that which Israel took. And um, I would add just to, from their perspective, they thought the whole land should belong to them for two reasons. Yeah. One of them was all the other Arabs in the Middle East and North Africa were each getting their own statehood. So they thought Palestinian Arabs should also. The Jordanians had was given to the Hashemites, so they wanted it for their local group. But also, they were by far the majority in this country. So they right. said, if you want to make it independent, make it independent. We'll have an Arab majority, a Jewish minority, and that's that. Why are you taking away land without our agreement and giving it away? What We see this as rightfully ours. Right. We're supposed to have our own state. So they right. think there that were, was unjust. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, just because there were 1.2 million or so Palestinians in the land at the time of the partition, mm-hmm. and or the partition plan, if there never was a yeah. partition, and 600,000 Jews, uh, approximately both of them. So it doubled the amount of Arabs. So as Mike said, there should be an Arab state with a Jewish minority, just like there had always been, or in the Ottoman Empire. From their perspective, obviously, the Ottoman Empire was, uh, you know, uh, there, there was Ottomans ruling the land, and there was always a Jewish mi- minority here. There was no problem with Jews living here um, as a minority. Uh, you could even push it further, right? In Iran, there are 20,000 Jews living in Iran today. Jews had always lived in Muslim countries. Why couldn't mm-hmm. they live in a Palestine? Yeah, we think we get it. After, after World War One and after World War Two, Arabs are taking over the lands that, that used to be run by the Turks, so we'll take over yeah. this land too, and there'll be a Jewish majority throughout, yeah. like there always is. They didn't. Right. They didn't. From Jewish their perspective, minority. Zionism is not a meaningful claim. Right. Yeah, the, the, so, the analogy I give to my students about this, by the way, is like if one of my kids has a cookie, and he comes into the room, and the other kid says, "Give me some cookie," and he says no, and big bad Abba comes and makes him share the cookie. The one who's holding the cookie, as far as he's concerned, he doesn't. He only has half a cookie left. He, he he doesn't see why he's got anything 
to have to share. He's been left with half a cookie, which when he could have had a whole cookie, right? That's, it's, 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 it's an analogy that works here because as far as they're concerned, the past concerned, they lost half a cookie. They didn't gain half a cookie. They lost half a cookie. Um, well, from even their more, perspective, they, right. from their perspective, they lost the whole cookie because then came 1967, well, which yeah. was to get the lands back. And the and of course, as Matt just uh, described a couple minutes ago, that there was more dispossession of Palestinian lands um, as as Israel then conquered everything uh, west of the Jordan Jordan River and 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 some other stuff. So um, for them, that that became dispossession as as they became under. If we'll talk about certainly in the West Bank and in the Gaza in the Gaza Strip, they came under military um, occupation, and um, and until today, right in the West Bank and in uh, in the West Bank, they're under military occupation. The Gaza Strip is a different story because Israel no longer works in that. But for the Palestinians, they still see the fact that Israel controls the borders. Right, Israel does control the borders, at least two out of the three borders. Egypt controls the others, but from again Palestinian's perspective, the Israeli control of those borders means that Israel ultimately controls the Gaza Strip. This is not just because if if well, if you they share are that independent, control with Egypt. Yeah, they, yeah, I said again, but the Palestinians yeah. right that that if you are independent, an independent state, like you deserve just you get to control what comes in and out, and they do not control that. Israel controls and, that, right? And, and, and Israel Egypt. maintains a naval blockade, like a naval line that's, around that's the, the Gaza and border. Egypt. Yeah. yeah, right, and also yeah. of course controls the airspace. So, and Egypt, in, in in that sense, right? So in that sense, there's the uh, the claim that. It's not independent because other people are controlling, as you say, and what can come in and, and what can come out. Right. And therefore, the the constant, and then therefore the constant dispossession of land. When we see, okay, area C, A, B, and C. Okay, well, C is you know, or or which is in the West Bank. That that is not, you know, um, native historical Jewish lands. They see that as, and we and we take over. They see that as continual dispossession. Of, of their of their rights and so therefore what they want is a just peace and from what that means to them a just peace is returning to their natural lands and there could be different models for this but one model is that the most I, I'm just going to talk about now the most common model that the Palestinians mm-hmm. talk about and the most common model is to set up a some kind of Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza somewhere or another and for Palestinian refugees from all around the world and within the West Bank to be re- able to return to their um, their original homes within their families' what we call original homes, their families' original homes for what we call the state of Israel. So, therefore, a Palestinian who's living in in Nablus in the West Bank, right, would get to return to Jaffa, or would get to return to Haifa, even if there's a Palestinian state in the West Bank. So they, there's really two claims here. Claim one is is the Palestinian state, natural state, and claim two is is the reparation, is the repatriation of Pal- Palestinian refugee families to their original home areas and homelands. Um, and to them, that is what is a just peace. So that even many surveys, and we use some in class. I don't remember the numbers. Maybe you guys remember them exactly. But that even if a if a state was established in the West Bank or, or Gaza, 
many or a majority of Palestinians say, well, it's not really over until the refugees are repatriated to their ancestral homelands within what we call the, the state of Israel. The conflict isn't over until all Palestinians get to live yeah. back where their grandparents are from. Yeah. Yeah. So really, I think in the West, tell me if you think this is fair to say, there's, there's, I think there were three levels, 67 created from the Palestinian perspective, the injustice that they are ruled by the Israeli military without civil or political rights. That's injustice one. Injustice, the, going back in time, oh, say, 48. Sorry. sorry. What was that again first? We just repeat that. I'm sorry. I, just, I want to go backwards in time. 67 yeah. created the injustice that the Israeli army rules the Palestinians of the West Bank and then uh-huh. Gaza without giving them civil or political rights. Right. That's one injustice. 1948 created different injustices. Injustice one, from the Palestinian perspective, yeah. is that Palestinians don't get to live wherever they want in their land where they came from. And right. injustice two is that the Palestinian state was stillborn and never created. Right. Now, those are two different injustices. Yes. So essentially, what I'm saying is, from the Palestinian perspective, there's three injustices. So why... One, why it, one is sure that, I'll it? go now. I'll go forward in time. One of them is that the Palestinian state, which was promised at partition by the UN, was never created. Injustice okay. one. Injustice two. Palestinians can't go back to the homes that they came from in what is today right. Israel, if they flood that war. And injustice three is the Palestinians of the West Bank and to a certain extent Gaza do not have political and civil rights and are overall ruled over they're ruled by the IDF. Right. Now I think when most people in the West are talking about resolving the injustices to the Palestinians, they're certainly talking about the civil and political rights of the West Bank Arabs. They are yeah, probably I, I, I think that's the biggest problem that that's most the people would identify. In the West. Yeah. In the West, yeah. They are probably also talking about the injustice from the Palestinian perspective that they don't have their own state, that the UN promised them one and they didn't get it. What most people in the West are not talking about is that from the Palestinian perspective, there's an injustice that parts of the land of Palestine aren't ruled by Arabs, by Palestinians, that there isn't an Arab majority, that the Arab majority were was destroyed in 48 in parts of what they call Palestine. And they want to recreate that Arab majority and re-rule all of Palestine. Now, any peace deal that can't, there there can be peace deals that are made that resolve the civil and political rights and the creating a Palestinian state. But any peace deal, that's the first two injustices, any peace deal that resolves from the Palestinian perspective that third injustice that there should be an Arab majority from the river to the sea that rules all of Palestine. The only way to solve that perceived injustice is to destroy Israel. And so part of the reason, you know, last week we talked about the three lenses. Are you seeing this geopolitically? Are you seeing this from a social justice perspective? Are you seeing it from the fundamentalist perspective? From a social justice perspective, you can get civil and political rights for Palestinians by giving them rights. Where? Well, from a geopolitical perspective, I can create, I can carve out territory, how much, how little, in the West Bank and Gaza, that they can have a functional state around the size of Singapore. 
But that third one, there is no peace deal in the world that will grant Israelis security if they have to commit suicide to satisfy the Palestinian desire for justice. And that's how we end up stuck. And, and that's our analysis, I think. Well, right. of well why I think there's a... I think there's another. I mean, I think you have to say also from the Israeli. In other words, when I think there are certain things that the Israelis demand in terms of security. Correct. That that also dive bomb the whole, you know, the whole discussion. Right. Um, For instance, when Israel basically, basically demands control of the borders of West Bank, particularly right for the Jordan Valley. But not only really. And they what? And, and the, the airspace. airspace, and basically demilitarized Palestine, right? Right. Um, so for, for Palestinians, that a lot of that is being a neutered Palestine, right? Being a neutered state. It's not a real state. Israel's still controlling, has a, has a lot of control over, over the what would be potentially a Palestinian state. Right, it's because there are very few states where, where another country gets to decide what your military capabilities can be. And there are none. That's like why that. the Israelis call this right. plan state minus, because it's not right. a full state. But right. from a justice perspective, that as an interim position, I could. It, we, in, you're right that that, whole, that breaks down, that's a, that's a breakdown in negotiations. But if we're just looking at it through our paradigm of the Palestinians are asking for justice, I can defend that from a justice perspective. Look, you've got your own state, you've got civil and political rights. It's a state minus for a period of time till we build up trust so that the Israelis feel secure. In other words, you're going to compromise on, on, on full statehood and have a state minus because that gives the Israelis a feeling of security and that allows you to solve your injustices. So what I'm saying is, you're right, Alan, that that is where things break down. But within our paradigm, that's a solvable problem if the Palestinians are willing to well, uh, again, uh, pursue, give up on the full well, what they consider as a state. No, but they, right, they're giving up on what they consider a state. As, right, as well, far as they're concerned, that's not just because you're asking for a half step towards something and then course. a full step at a later stage. No, but that, but, but listen, if that's, that's not then unjust. I can understand that's, why somebody might might reject that. I can understand why they might object to it, but it is not unjust for an interim period. For them to have a a demilitarized state minus, so that the Israelis have security, you build up trust, and then you lead to full statehood in time. That's not unjust. That's practical. You're not sacrificing justice to work that out. It's it's moving towards. It's not instant justice, but it's the path to full justice. And still having your national aspirations and the agenda for that set by somebody else, which again no, is set in a two-sided agreement. Well, not if you don't get the side that you want. So I, I, no, I, I understand you want, your plan and I understand how it satisfies certain I can, parameters I can conceive, and, and it works, but I yeah. can understand why it, it would be a, a non-starter as well. Uh, I don't believe that it's because of the injustice of not full statehood. I don't believe that. Okay. Because that makes no sense. Would you rather have? Okay, here's a simple question: Would you rather have state minus or zero state? Well, I, I think we can see in the way some of the Palestinian negotiators have approached this in the past, it is a zero sum game in some cases. What they say is they don't say we would rather have no state than a demilitarized state. 
What they say is, we will not give up on the right of return. That is non-negotiable. Well, that's also a great way of, uh, what was the expression you down? Dive bombing the negotiations. Once you throw a non-starter into any conversation, it's going no, no, to... No, uh, but, but again, what I'm trying to do is keep within our paradigm. If our analysis, and, and no, no, no ideal type analysis is perfect, it's just a tool to understand, and we'll find gray areas where, that it doesn't totally cover. But if the Palestinians are seeking their self-perception of justice... And the Israelis are seeking their self-perception of security, then that compromise of a demilitarized Palestinian state should, in theory, satisfy both sides. Whether they get hung up on it or not, I, I, I can, I can haggle that in the shook. That's doable. But if their perceived justice means complete Arab control of all of Palestine, right. I can't negotiate that. There's nothing I can right, do. That's an I can't. I cannot imagine right. how to fix right, well, that. We, oh, yeah, right, and of course we have to we have to also point out that the, all these things are a spectrum, right? There's no correct, right? There's no one consensus in uh, either an Israel side or in the Palestinian side, right? We've correct. seen that there are Palestinians that are that have been willing in the past to uh, sure. negotiate on refugee status, um, uh, just like there are Israelis who are willing to negotiate on security. All right, Israeli, and, of course. Um, in terms of like I meant borders and Jordania and demilitarization, all those things. Right, there's a spectrum in both societies of people who are willing to to do both. But generally, when we talk about right, right but generally when we talk about the you know uh, you know your 60, 65 percent of your people, most Palestinians still fall down on this line that well. The ref refugees need the right of return, and that's still the official the official stance of the UN. That the way to solve the problem is a right of return, which Mike is pointing out. That means Palestinian Refugee Department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Palestinian Refugee Department. That Mike is uh, Mike is uh, pointing out was means there is no possibility of the state of Israel. uh, Yeah, obviously continuing with. uh, Of course, UNRWA's position contradicts the. 242 of the Security Council, which says that Israel right. should continue to exist legally. Right. Its own. So right, it's but again, it's it's a it is a mess. And on, on the Israel side, there's right there there's uh, the the overall consensus, and that's why we see what's happening today in terms of the politics in Israel is that the Jordan Valley is is, is really a no a no negotiation at least for uh, at least for the next you know um uh, 25 years that the jordan valley is something that israel needs to retain control of for absolute security so israel can take risks but it cannot sacrifice security like it can even right. risk it somewhat but it right. cannot become insecure by the way we hear the palestinians say the same thing right. israel you know palestinians can can give concessions to this but it cannot it cannot give up on justice exactly exactly and yeah. that's why i think benji's idea is a useful paradigm does it explain everything does it clarify exactly. all the details no but if you right. think about peace through security or peace through justice as the paradigm, it helps you understand yeah. the two sides. It's not about which side is right, which side is wrong. Obviously, we're stakeholders in one particular yeah. side. But it helps you make sense of the rhetoric. It doesn't change your opinion or position, but right. it makes you able to hear and understand better. That's what I like. And it, it helps is, you to understand why there's still so far not been solved because yeah. it helps you understand where, where the difference is between the the goals and problems and all those different things are. Yeah, it has real explanatory value. Yeah. So, thank you, gentlemen. Thank uh, you. We're wrapping up for the week. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, guys. And thank you, Ben, for editing this. 
because uh, it's over. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, rate, and review. Join us next time.